Uh, I'd just like to, uh, before we start this um, podcast, I'd like to, for all of us to just acknowledge that we're on Ghana country and um, pay respect to our elders in past, future and present and um, future generations there. Thank you. Namani, um, it's Eva Wilson here from the SA Museum. I'm the Aboriginal Education Coordinator here and my role here is about educating about our Aboriginal cultures, what we have here at the museum and also educating the broader Australian public and our educators in classrooms about Aboriginal history and culture. I'm a Murning woman from the west coast of South Australia or along the Great Australian Bight and um, Nullarbor Plains. And yeah, I've been working in Aboriginal education for the last 15 years or so. We're here at the SA Museum with Clem Newchurch and Peter Turner, and we'll be talking about the Guildhouse First Nations Collections Project. And the work here that Peter and Clem are doing, I think is really important to um, educate our audiences about what we can see within historical paintings done by people like George French Angus. So I'm going to hand it over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, my name's um, Clem Newchurch. I grew up um, south of Adelaide in a little town called Aldinga Beach. Uh, my family background is um, I've uh, got connections to Narunga country, Ghana country and Gugutha country. And then um, when researching ancestry, I've got extended connections to Nyarangiri, Bangala, and other surrounding nations as well. My Ghana lineage is uh, through my grandfather's side of the family. My grandfather's father's mother's mother's mother was Nellie Raymond Yemeran, who was uh, a Ghana woman who was taken from the southern Adelaide region um, in the early 1830s, 1840s. She was taken across to Kangaroo Island by a Russian Finn named John Wilkins and um, possibly lived a you know probably a pretty horrific life. Kangaroo Island for Ghana people was known as like the land of the dead. It was uh, Ghana people's belief that after you passed away that was like the, the stepping stone to the afterlife. Not many Ghana people went to that island before Europeans came here or at least for thousands of years. You know, her children made it to the mainland in the early 1800s and um, yeah a lot of a lot of Ghana people were descended from nearly Roman Yamaran so but um, one of those one of her um, daughters was um, sent across to Point Pierce after they made it to the mainland, and, and that's where my family, um, my Ghana connection came from there. Um, on our Naranga side, we've got connections through the King Tommy line, and then on my grandmother's side, we've got connections up into Gugutha, Yunkajada country, um, through the Kites. Uh, hello, uh, my name's Peter Turner. I'm a uh um, I identify myself as a Naranga man, but I have connections with uh, Ghana, Nadri, Kugatha, Nukunu, through the Smith family. I've uh, lived most of my life at Wallaroo on York Peninsula uh, with, a fa- with my family, I have five children. Been the local snake catcher for York Peninsula for the last 22 years and um, have fished my waters for, for as far back as I can remember. Yeah, um, my uh, connection to Ghana is through Kanado. She was born to Santa Clare on Skigiligli Creek. Um, she was one of the, she was the first Aboriginal 
lady in South Australia to be married to a white man officially. Uh, his name was Tom Adams. They had two sons, Tim and Tom. My line actually comes from the older son, Tom. He uh, was a very prominent person um, over Point Pierce and helping to get uh, a lot of things uh, in place for Nuranga people. A school for the children and a hospital for the community. On the Google side, uh, my grandfather is George Turner. He's one of the top five Apical elders for Google people. Very, very powerful lawman. He married my grandmother, which was Ina Sansbury of York Peninsula, Point Pierce. So Clem and Peter, um, with this Guildhouse project, how did it get started and how did you get working together? So yeah, I first met Uncle Peter um, in March last year. I had uh, some work with a school over in, at, at New York Peninsula. I'd moved over there for about six months and um, to do some of that work, but also to you know catch up with family over there. And um, yeah, through linking with Uncle Peter, we kind of I was I was doing um, string workshops in that local school, and um, that got us talking and. Um, Uncle Peter came in and supported me with that workshop and, and through conversation we worked out that we were kind of on similar paths with um, cordage and string making and um, so we started going out together and um, started learning a lot off of Uncle Peter and, and um, we started going out on country and you know going to sites and, and learning a lot about sites, learning a lot about plants and um, yeah trying to work some stuff out together I guess um, to continue our journeys with um, with that cordage making. Yeah, um, as Clem was saying, uh, we met uh, at a Maitland school, York Peninsula. Um, some work he was doing over there, I got an invite to, uh, by Sonia Rankin to come in and um, assist with string making and different Aboriginal uh, aspects. A mule being painted there and um, through Karklu. After um, getting to know each other and um, catching up, Outside of the school, uh, we, we, we realised that uh, we've definitely been on the same path and uh, enjoy uh, looking into and researching um, our cultural knowledge. We uh, went straight out on country, um, started showing Clem different uh, wood strengths and we, we both uh, have always um, spotted a plant that and checked out to see what the fibre, how strong the fibre is in it for string making. Yeah, Clem spotted me uh, checking a plant out that I've never checked it before and um, vice versa, we were both doing the same things. Uh, we started um, going out and uh, cutting uh, bowls, coulomons, um, and uh, make, making various uh, tools and uh, th and then um, Clem said to me, um, have you heard about Guildhouse and the uh, George French Angus exhibition they're running there? They're looking for um, some uh, the Aboriginal component to uh, complement his, his paintings. And uh, I, I uh, said to Clem, yeah, go ahead, put my name in it. And uh, before we knew it, we were selected and um, here we are today. Uh, ready to uh, exhibit our works uh, in, in the very near future. Clement Peter's exhibition, Ghana Still Here, is open now until May 8th, 2022, and is made possible by the Guildhouse First Nations Collection Project. The gallery space is divided into two sections. When you enter, you're in the bigger right half of the room, 
The whole room is divided by a large column in the centre. The walls are black, the floor dark brown carpet. On the floor is a circle of small black circular ottomans surrounding a pale woven floor mat. Behind these ottomans are two long wooden benches carved from uneven wood and smoothed on top. Starting on the right-hand side, there are several prints of George French Angus drawings on the wall. This exhibition is in part a response to another exhibition of George French Angus drawings currently on display. We'll expand on that in the next podcast episode. Watercolour sketches of Aboriginal people in Ghana landscapes stand out against the black of the walls. Moving around the walls anti-clockwise, the next wall has the title in large orange font in the centre, Ghana still here, and mounted to the wall beneath it are two long wooden spears in pale wood. Hanging from the ceiling in the far right corner of the room are five large printed photographs of the carvings, baskets and other objects in the exhibition. Throughout this half of the room, four glass cubes sit atop grey plinths. Each cube is around 40 centimetres across and contains various carved, woven and found material. Moving around the walls across from the entrance, a wall-mounted TV plays videos of Clem making rope, photos of adventures on country, close-up shots of wood, axes and bark. Behind the large column dividing the room is the left-hand side of the gallery. Continuing to move anti-clockwise around the walls, the back wall is filled with assorted fishing gear, nets, lines, a hook made out of a shiny abalone shell. The other walls in here are filled with spears, boomerangs, kulamon or multi-purpose bowls, weaving and netting materials. Some hang from the ceiling, including a heavy piece of resin from a yucca plant. On the final wall near the entrance is a TV playing a video of Auntie Lynette Crocker, senior Ghana woman, welcoming us to Ghana country. Yeah, so I think, yeah, like Uncle Peter said, we, we started going out cutting the bowls out in country. Um, when we were out and about, um, Uncle Peter would show me old sites as well. So we used to come across a lot of old scar trees across York Peninsula, um, which was, you know, amazing to see some of that ancient history on, on that country. And then um, we'd go out to places like the beach. Uncle Peter showed me places where to source you know, things like the flint and the chert and ochre over on our country, um, where to source things like grinding stones and showing me those sites where, you know, along, along the coastlines as well as inland, uh, water holes, you know, some that had been damaged. So he'd, um, you know, highlighted some of that destruction over on, that occurred over on York, York Peninsula for me. And, um, yeah, like the whole... Every time we caught up, it was a big learning process for me. It was, um, you know, a, an awesome part of my journey to, to connect with um, Uncle Peter to, to do this learning and, um, you know, go out onto those sites and, and just immerse ourselves in, in that kind of culture as much as we possibly could. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you tell me a bit more about the scar trees? So what kind of trees um, are in our environments here in, on Narunga country and Ghana country and that sort of thing? Um, and what have you made from these trees? And are we able to see them in the exhibition? Yeah, so there's, if you know where to look on both Ghana, Narunga and Yadinjeri country, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of history at our doorstep that you know people don't even realise, and scar trees is one of those things that you know are all over our country. Um, through, through Ghana country, we have um, you know shield scars and canoe trees deep within Adelaide. Um, you know, right in the middle of suburbia, I've seen a canoe tree right out the front of somebody's house before, um, and um, you know shield scars in the middle of parks, in the middle of Marion. 
um, you know, some of those trees are, you know, over 500 years old and the scars have been carbon dated to be over 250 years old, so predating European contact in this land. Um, the, the trees over on York Peninsula, there's thousands of trees that have these scars and we found a couple of really unique ones that, that almost look like marker tree or something. You know, part of that process was trying to go out and work out what our ancestors were, were making from these scars and um, there's still things that we've, we're yet to learn but a few of the things um, that we'd been out in country and, and trying to figure out for ourselves when we had access to the museum collections we were able to join some of those dots in some cases. There are an array of kulamon or bowls in the exhibition. A kulamon is a piece of wood carved from the curve of a tree. It's like someone has drawn an oval on the side of the tree, cut inwards a few centimetres and removed that section. The trees with pieces removed for this purpose, or for shields or shelters or canoes, are called scar trees and you can find them all over Australia. The curved smooth kulamon can be used for carrying food, for starting a small fire or for holding a baby. I absolutely love visiting the botanic gardens and seeing the couple, even just the couple scar trees there. But like, um, is it mainly river red gum, so the kara tree that it's worked on to make garner shields? For shields, yes, yeah, and uh, bowls as well. Over on Yorks, it's um, there's she oaks for woomers, and uh, there's, there's gum trees there. For, uh, you know, we, we take bowls out of, but a lot, a lot of scar trees are she oak over on York Peninsula, especially the northern end. These, are, these scars are not like a bowl. These scars are like a woman. They're, they're long, you know, elongated scars. That's what would have been made out of these because part of the um, a section of the pith is also taken with it. So while we're out on country you know, and going to those sites and, and, you know, seeing the scars, we'd also go out and find our own trees to you know, newer trees, younger trees that we could um, cut our own bowls out of. And that was something that we um, both kind of worked on together and, and was, again, was learning along that journey as we were doing it. And um, yeah, you'll definitely get to see some of those bowls in the exhibition. Is there a seasonality to it? Like, is there times of the year that um, is best or... Um, helps the regrowth of the tree or, or that sort of thing? Definitely there's um, times that you don't cut the bowls out of the tree. It would cause too much stress to the tree. That was, uh, again, part of that learning for us was, you know, doing that research and making sure that we knew that so that we weren't kind of, you know, doing any damage to the tree. But, you know, Uncle Peter's knowledge around plants as well uh, has been really helpful in that regard. In 2018, the Australian Curriculum, or ACARA, released 95 new Aboriginal science elaborations. ACARA recognised the gap in learning outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students who would benefit from connecting to their culture, and the additional benefits to all students and teachers of learning more about First Nations practices. The 95 science elaborations, developed with local communities and with the assistance of the South Australian Museum, offer connections to Aboriginal sciences for use in all school years in multiple subjects. For instance, in Year 3, part of the science curriculum is learning how a change of state between solid and liquid could be caused by adding or removing heat. In the elaborations, students can look at changes of state in materials such as beeswax or resins, which are melted and used by Aboriginal people to create tools. If you'd like to investigate more, the new science elaborations are available on the ACARA website.
Peter, you've been doing a lot of work with science teachers around this and the science of Aboriginal knowledges. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I was approached by um, Noongar Nations to be part of helping the teachers across York Peninsula learn about different Aboriginal aspects of culture. Some of the subjects that I actually taught the teachers about was the butterfish, uh, the fish traps we have over there on Yorks, string making, stone tool work. There was also um, another lady in the maintenance school that was doing basket weaving. At the time, I had no idea how to weave and uh, had passed that actual position on to Sonia Rankin, who's a nationally recognised now as um, an Aboriginal weaver. Yeah, so like through this program, you got to start to learn how to weave and, and, and yeah. really... Yeah, no, um, well, my, my weaving uh, actually came about from um, my nephew Clem here. He uh, showed me how to start it off. And being a fisherman all my life and knowing numerous knots and always enjoyed playing with rope and fishing line and what have you, um, I realised it was just half hitches and, uh, well, it, was, it just fell into place for me. I, uh, I knew how to do it instantly. Yeah, so I showed Uncle Peter probably six months ago just quickly how to do a, a starter which um Yeti style of weaving, which is probably similar to the Ghana style as well. And um, yeah, months later, he, I gave him some reads, he took them home and a couple of days later sent me a photo of the first basket that he'd started and it, absolutely incredible. It, it impressed me a lot. Yeah, it seems like there's a sort of innateness to it and a natural way of doing it. I find I'm a bit of a weaver too and I just find that it did come kind of naturally. Like I did some work with the Southern Elder Weaver Group and I learnt, once I learnt how to do the starter, it just flows um, and it's a really lovely thing to do and to reclaim that culture. I guess similarly with the with the cordage, so the string making was something that, so for myself, it was probably about 10 years ago on Ghana country where I'd started experimenting with plants. I was actually making reed spears out of a plant and um, one of the reeds collapsed on me and I worked out that I could strip some of the fibre out. I could chew it up and started twisting it and automatically I just kind of put it in my teeth and started twisting both strands and worked out my own way of um, making the cordage. When I met up with Uncle Peter at, at uh, Maitland School, he asked me, hey, show us how you make your string. And when I showed him, he said, that's the exact same way that I've worked out. Yeah, and we've, we've kind of progressed with those techniques since, like, and learnt together and, and refined our technique a little bit. And um, we've worked out, like, the way that our old people used to do it, um, rolling on the legs. It's, it's just been a, a process that, for me, has been kind of really fascinating because it does feel like sometimes things are just kind of coming to you. And, and sometimes I've, I've said it to many people where... I've, it's almost like the plants are showing you stuff like as the more that you're actually physically touching the plants the more that you know think those things come to you and I like to think that that's you know like our ancestors talking to us through the plants. I get the same feeling when you're um, walking on country and looking for that right piece of wood or have you, you know, you'll walk up to one and um, it, it just doesn't feel right so you'll walk to another and uh, sooner or later you'll get a feeling that's positive and so that's the one you use and then when you're working on that piece of wood it uh it's like it talks to you you know you, you think you're going to be doing this and uh the wood tells you no you got to do that yeah that's really beautiful so while making these objects for the exhibition um and 
having the opportunity to look in the archives, is there anything that you've come across, whether it's a belonging or a document or a painting, that has really inspired you or something that you've recreated? One of, one of the things that kind of stood out to me, I guess, throughout um, you know, accessing the collections was one day I was just scrolling through my Facebook feed and a mouldy carving video came up. So they were using greenstone and they'd um, attach that to a bit of wood and they were using it as a drill. And for me, I was like, I'm sure I'll be able to find something that our ancestors did that was similar in those collections. So the next time I came in, I made it my goal to find that. And um, I was walking actually through the main gallery and um, found a drill, you know, so I'd walked past that drill that many times. And, you know, after seeing that video, it was like, oh, there it is. So, so that kind of inspired me to, you know, make my own <laughs> and, and play around with the flint and, um, and the, the, the resins to attach the flint. And, um, yeah, it was definitely something that our ancestors used. And I think there was a couple of times throughout, you know, this whole process where that kind of occurred, where we, where we were out on country, we, we kind of had this thought that this would have been the way to do things and then you know accessing the collections just confirmed that for us so. yeah accessing the collections we, we realize um that mo most things that we'd been doing and most most thoughts we had on uh processes and that um it, it was uh what we got to look at and so we felt strong that we were already on the right track so and you know plus growing up with your father my father and my uncles and aunties and uh you know seeing different things made and by people different family members and that over the years you know you just grow up um looking at these things and you know i've i've played with wood all my life but um and always always gave it away to someone and but uh this is actually the first time I've actually uh, gone ahead and made things um, for an exhibition. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see, see it all, all up and um, see the response from the public. Yeah, well, uh, I've um, actually gone and made a uh, chisel out of flint with uh, Spinifex uh, resin and kangaroo sinew. And uh, I've also made a hammer for... Um, you know, the, you could use your own imagination what you want to use the hammer for. You could dong someone on the head, I guess, or uh, you know, use it for putting in wedges for um, taking out um, different pieces of wood off of trees. Um, you know, like there, there's, you could crack your peanuts with it if you want. <laughs> it's, uh, I think one of the things that Uncle Peter and I noticed, you know, as we were making things and as we we're accessing collections, like a lot, a lot of our tools are multi-purpose. You know, they they weren't, they just didn't have a specific use. Is to say um, a lot of our tools were of a specific use uh, isn't practical. Yeah, they they were multi-purpose tools, uh, ceremonial tools. Well, that's something different, but um, in ge general everyday life, tools were very multi-purpose a lot. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think um, this is the sort of thing that lots of different Aboriginal groups can connect to because you don't actually have to be um, 
a professional artist to take part in this. It can be something that, this is something that our ancestors did. It seems very natural. It feels really natural. Um, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I guess for, for even for myself, it's only been too fairly, re- hasn't been too fairly recently that I've considered myself an artist. You know, mm. for, for me, doing this wasn't about getting out to the public or mm. wasn't about doing it for other people. It was about the learning for myself and trying to work out how my ancestors did things, mm. and I think you know it's the same for Uncle Peter. He's 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 I actually had to uh, convince Uncle Peter that he's an he's an artist. Mm. You know, yeah. he has been an artist for many many years, Absolutely. and you know he's he's sold things off, but he's never um, you know put his name up there as an artist. And you know when I saw some of the things that Uncle Peter had made over the many years. You are an artist, Uncle, you know. So, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to actually share part of our journey um, with the broader public. I had another uncle um, last year while I was at Uncle Peter's. He said to both of us, you need to get this out. You need to show people what you're doing because this is what's going to inspire our young people. Mm. This is what's going to get our young people interested in culture Mm. and get them wanting to, you know, engage more in their own culture Mm. yeah absolutely i mean this is why i'm here why i'm an aboriginal educator is um educating those younger generations and i'm really excited at the opportunity to have young aboriginal kids come through get some kids off naranga country naranjuri country to come see this exhibition and work with you both and and see you both do this there's a lot of sort of talking um art circles and media around that decolonisation of these institutions and I think what you're doing and what you're taking from this George French Angus exhibition is that decolonisation process. When when this opportunity came up, I didn't actually know who George French Angus was, but I'd come across several of his paintings and um, so Uncle Peter and myself, for many years, we've been referring to a lot of old painters, um, you know, people like Edward Snell, William von Blandowski, you know, a whole range, Cawthorn, you know, and we've been referencing these paintings for, for many years to, you know, to get that insight into how our old people did some of these things, um, you know, to add to what we've learnt from our elders and, and what we've, you know, gathered from other sources. But, um yeah, so for us, you know, George French Angus isn't the important thing here. Um, for us, the important thing was the content of his paintings. And for us, and you know, with the, the title of our exhibition, Ghana, still here, it's our belief that, you know, for George French Angus or people in those times, uh, non-Aboriginal people, I think, but had the belief that Ghana people were dying out and weren't going to be around for much longer. And so for us and for me, I feel like um, in responding to George French Angus by showing some of the items we've been making for many, many years, even without referencing, you know, some of the George French Angus paintings, I, I, some of the items that I made were almost exact to some of those paintings. So, uh, yeah, I guess for us, you know, to say, Ghana, we're still here, you know, um, that, that colonisation didn't work you know as you know we're 
our culture is still alive. You know, it's the longest surviving culture in the world and um, yeah, we're still here. Like seeing the George French Angus works, um, I think they were there to document and study us as Aboriginal people and now we're sort of taking that back and reclaiming and, and studying their paintings to create what we already know was there. Um, and especially when you're talking about that innate feeling of creating these objects and then seeing the works and that they're exactly like what's in the paintings, I think that's it's really beautiful and wonderful that you are doing that. So one of the things in the lead up to um, this project that kind of I found a bit weird or strange or, or it kind of made me feel like this was a, a good fit for us to share our story was it was about probably six months before the opportunity came up or, or three three months before the opportunity came up that Uncle Peter and I over on York's were talking about making reed spears and I'd had some work down south of Adelaide over the the, the next couple of weeks so I'd planned to go down to Rapid Bay and collect some reed spears and around the same time I had an, an, an old acquaintance who'd sent me a photo of one of the George French Angus paintings and she'd asked whether I thought the, the painting was painted at Selix. Automatically I, I recognised the painting to be Rapid Bay so I'd grown up you know fishing Rapid Bay from as early as I could remember so instantly recognised that. So while I was down there, I took a comparison photo of, of that exact location. And um, yeah, it wasn't until months later that this opportunity came up that you know, referenced directly that painting. And, and then in other paintings, there was reed spears, the exact reed spears that I was collecting. So that's where it was like, you know, it just seems like a really nice fit. It's almost like it's meant to be kind of thing. I grew up on the York Peninsula and um, being a teacher I got to be a part of one of Peter's um, guided sessions out on country in Narunga country in Wallaroo and having grown up in Wallaroo and um, Peter pointing out the, where the fish traps were and or are still. Yeah, st- yeah I grew up in Wallaroo and like um, <laughs> well Kadena Wallaroo well, we lived in Kadena but Mum always used to take us, like, uh, looking at the rock pools, finding little crabs under the the rocks and that sort of thing, and knowing now that the fish traps that have been there for thousands of years, like, um, is is amazing. And I'm so glad, Peter, you're doing that work and you're educating teachers and, and young Aboriginal people about that because... Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's been, it's been a uh, very fulfilling journey for myself uh, doing this stuff. Um, as we know, we've lost a lot mm. of our culture and uh, the more you're out on country and the more you connect um, with the people and, and your culture, um, the more fulfilled your life feels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the work that you're both doing is, is so very important. Um, and seeing young kids' faces um, when you talk about the, these sort of things, about relearning and... Um, relearning this culture and relearning these techniques and creating these belongings and doing the weaving and the string making it's um um it makes you feel at home when you're doing it it makes you feel at peace um and for young people to have that i just yeah young people i see aboriginal young aboriginal people i see nowadays um a lot of them uh, are losing that connection to country Mm. and um 
mainly I suppose because I don't get to go out on country very often. Mm. You know, um, a lot of practices have stopped, uh, ceremony has stopped. Um, we have fences and roads and every mm. obstacles in our way now to, uh, you know, in our sites. Uh, a lot of our sites, if, if they're not on the coastline, they're usually in a farmer's paddock. So you yeah. don't have access to it. And that's where a lot of young people are missing out on uh, keeping that connection to country and culture. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, growing up, driving those back roads in, in the old Vinchula and not knowing that there's grindstones sitting in those piles of rocks or, um, yeah, it's stuff that we need to know and, and learn about. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, with young people, I mean, it's proven that, you know, the more that young people engage in their culture, the more that they, we see, you know, positive outcomes in mm. their life. You know, they, we see pride in culture, we see positive self-esteem, you know, pride in self, a, a whole mm. range of different positive outcomes when we're strong in culture. So, yeah, yeah that's, I guess, you know, one of the things... That's that the positives of uh, teaching young people our culture is mm. uh, seeing them... Um, have something to live for and not feel lost yeah you know it's a, it's um it makes you feel proud when you can see them feeling proud of their culture and finding that connection instead of um thinking all that's left is what they're being taught or what they used to get taught at, at schools you know but uh now that 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 too is changing and uh they're going to be able to um, engage through learning through the education department, um, different aspects of Aboriginal culture in a more deeper sense than what's been done in the past. As I was saying earlier, um, I identify myself as Naranga but have um, connection to uh, Ghana and uh, numerous other nations. Um, what, I, what I've enjoyed... Um, a lot with meeting Clem is uh, when I've come down to Adelaide here he's always taken me out and showing me the sites down south in a lot of these places that George French Angus has painted and uh, I've done a lot of heritage work um, across York Peninsula for many many years now I've actually, and still still do heritage work monitoring and uh, finding new sites and getting them recorded and things like that but um, I've really enjoyed uh, learning the um, the different sites and some of the different stories here on Ghana country and uh, it's been um, very fulfilling to uh, have the opportunity and I thank my nephew for that. Um, Nichalia Clem and Peter, so thank you, that's the Ghana word for thank you. Um, thank you for coming here today and speaking with us and um, we're really looking forward to this exhibition happening um, and really looking forward to the future work we can do with both of you um, here at the SA Museum. Yeah, I'd like to uh, just thank uh, you Eva and um, Margaret for uh, seeing us today for starters and doing this podcast but um, I'd also like to thank the SA Museum and Guildhouse for the opportunity that they've given us to... Um, indulge deeper into our cultural practices. Thank you for listening to the South Australian Museum podcast. Audio production for this episode was by Jake Holmes, theme song by Peter Saunders. Thank you to Eva Wilson for hosting this episode. Thank you to artists Clem Newchurch and Uncle Peter Turner for sharing their stories. 
their exhibition Ghana Still Here is open until May 8th, 2022 in the Australian Aboriginal Cultures Gallery at the Museum. Ghana Still Here is made possible through the Guildhouse First Nations Collection Project. Get in touch on social media or by emailing programs at samuseum.sa.gov.au. Natalia Nakata, thank you and see you later.